Hi, I'm Damien Bailey. And I'm Ian Packer. Uh, we wanted to take a moment to tell you about the amazing time we had here at Margaret River Baptist Church on Sunday. Mike Bullard, the ministry support pastor with Baptist Churches WA, came down to our beautiful church here to pray for all of our leaders and lead the induction service. So at the end of March, I was voted in as lead pastor and Domo's contract was extended for a year to uh, coincide with my term of call. I'm excited to be working with Domo for this year. Both of us are part-time at the church and in bivocational situations. Together we're seeking to provide both good teaching, pastoral care, and also help our church to confidently reach out to our community. On Sunday, Mike prayed for our leadership team, our board, and for the whole church. Mike called us as a community to cross the Rubicon. It's a moment of decision and an ongoing journey of perseverance. So while there's a focus on leadership in this message, it's a message actually for the whole church as a community. As Mike takes us through Ephesians chapter 4, we hope that as you hear him speak now, you'll be encouraged to connect deeper into the community here at MRBC. We hope to see you at one of our regular services, a lunchtime gathering, or even one of our evening get-togethers sometime soon. Here's the message. So I'm going to share some things from, um, from that chapter that I think um, hopefully might help us as we think about what it means to um, be the church in the age that we live in. And on the screen, we should have, I think we're going to get a picture of, that picture there is, uh, it's Julius Caesar. He's been out beyond Rome, bravely defending Roman lands, fighting for the Roman Empire, getting rid of the barbarians. As far as Roman generals go, this guy is successful. He's incredibly successful. And now he's facing a big decision. He's standing on the bank of a river. What river is that? It's the Rubicon. He's, about, he's thinking about crossing back over and coming back into Rome with all his armies and all his success. And the moment he crosses that river, he realizes he becomes an enemy of the state. Because if he goes across that river with his army he suddenly becomes a threat to Rome. But he's an ambitious man. This is his path to victory. This is his path to his uh, realizing his ambition. There will be casualties. It is risky. And he realizes once he crosses that river, there is no turning back. And the action, uh, apparently he quotes a play, uh, whether this is true or not, but he's, he's said to quote a play, and he says these words, the die is cast. He's made the decision. He's going across. He accepts the consequences of his actions. He says, I'm facing it. The die is cast. I'm crossing the river. He crosses the Rubicon, makes the fateful decision. And this has become a legendary act, crossing the Rubicon, facing the consequences, looking forward and realizing if I do this, I'm, I've got to get into some, there'll be some consequences from what I face. And a bit like the Nike, doing it anyway. He's facing it and he's doing it anyway. I think there are times in our faith journeys where we face situations like this. We celebrate it in song. I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. We're not going back across that river. Jesus faced it in his own life. Uh, in Luke's Gospel, it says, chapter 8, it says, he resolutely set his face to go to Jerusalem. He's not turning back. He's going to the cross. And he even calls us as his followers. He says, 
you must take up your cross and follow. That's saying you've got to cross the Rubicon. There's no going back from this, guys. So I want to share about some moments in faith that I come out of that I think come out of Ephesians four. Uh, how that hits us as individuals. There are moments like this where we have to cross the river regardless of consequence. And I think maybe as a church, there might be the opportunity that we can cross the Rubicon to a new tomorrow. Okay, so let's go. Some of the, I'll just hit on some of the verses. So in the first one, let's go to the next one. Um, Paul crosses the Rubicon. So if you look at the New Testament, the letters of the New Testament, uh, chapters 1 to 3 of Ephesians is all about what God has done for them. It's all about the calling they have received. So God has done some things for them. Chapter 4, Paul starts to say, now in response, this is what you need to do. Here's your response. Uh, So in Ephesians, it talks about you were far away from God and God has made us near in Christ through the blood of Jesus. Uh, You were dead in sin, but now you've been made alive. This has all been told in the first chapters of Ephesians. Chapter 3 talks about Jews and Gentiles were separate, but now in Christ, they've been made one people, one new person in Christ. This is the calling they've been given for the first three chapters, to be reconciled to God, to be filled with his spirit, and to live out a life of unity in this world. That's the calling. So Paul says, this is what God has done in the first three chapters. And now, in the last part of the book, he's going to say, and here's what we should do. Here's how we should respond to that. It's like the Ten Commandments. How many of the Ten Commandments did Israel have to obey in order to become God's people? And the answer, of course, is none. Because the Ten Commandments in Exodus begins like this. God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. In other words, I've already rescued you. You shall have none other gods but me. It doesn't start with you must do this in order to be this. It starts with God has already rescued us. Now, here's how we should live. This is how we should respond. They are already out of slavery before the Ten Commandments is given. You are a rescued people. This is how rescued people should live. It's the same in Ephesians and the New Testament generally. God has done something in Christ to rescue us from sin, from death, from slavery. And then the latter part tells us, and this is how we should live as a result of that. In chapter 4, Paul crosses the Rubicon because he goes from telling us what God has done, he crosses over into chapter 4 and starts telling us what we should do. So he crosses over into a new space. Let's live a life worthy of the calling that we have received. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling. All the stuff that Jesus has done for us, now we have to live worthy of that. That's what Paul's saying. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. The unity of the Spirit is not something you attain to, it's something you've been given. It's been given by God Our job is to maintain it, to live in it, and to make it real in this world. Okay, let's go to the next one. So Paul crosses the Rubicon in the letter. We must cross the Rubicon. As a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. How? Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit 
through the bond of peace. Our opportunity to cross the Rubicon is to do that in response to what God has done. Today we've looked at a new leadership team or a new group of leaders to go forward. Now Ian's the only one who's recently new, but as a group, this is a new group. This is the first time they've been set apart in this way. You ever notice when you have a group, as soon as someone enters that group, the group's different? You have to reform as a group. It's a new group. You've never been led by these people before as a church. Now it's time. What if in doing this, we cross the Rubicon? What if from this day on, we were completely humble and gentle, patient, bearing with one one another in love? What if we took that on as the new way to live? I'm sure we can all look back at times and situations where that wasn't the case. Uh, And you've got stories from churches that wasn't the case. But crossing the Rubicon means to leave those things behind and move into this new reality, humility and gentleness, keeping, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. And the danger is, of course, that I'm going to be misunderstood. Someone's going to disagree with me. I'm going to find that someone else's opinions aren't uh, acceptable to me. The point of making these commands is that, yes, those things will happen. You will feel offended. Uh, You will feel that people are behaving in ways that are not agreeable to you. That's what community is like. Living in community means that those things will happen. That's what makes it so challenging. You look around the world and through history, living in community has always been challenging. You have these remarkable examples. People say, oh, they're living in community. You think, oh, a couple of years later, it's fallen apart because this or that or something happened. The scandals and the offences soon come to the surface. The only way to live in community is if you have something that holds you together, something that binds you. In the church, it's our common calling and identity in Christ. We have something that holds us together. That's a gift. To hold it together, then we have to make every effort to maintain the unity we've been given as a gift. That's challenging. It will always take effort to live as a community. It will always make, uh, mean learning, being patient, listening, bearing with one another in love. If a, if a church or any group is going to live in community, they have to cross the Rubicon. They have to cross the bearing with one, one another in love. But across there is the joy that comes by, in, by participating in such a community. Let me give you another analogy. This is the Roman soldiers. You may have seen this before. The key to victories to the victory in Rome, let's go to the next one, um, the organization, the discipline, the unity. That's how they used to present themselves in battle. In this formation, they're almost undefeatable. You can't, the enemy can't get in. And usually the enemy's not very organized. This is called the tortoise formation. Um, the, the enemy is undisciplined. Uh, The Romans were always disciplined. Against an enemy like that, if you stay united, as long as you stick together, don't break ranks, it's almost impossible to defeat that group of people. And I think it's the same with the church. There are guaranteed that will come challenges to unity. Things will come that make you want to break ranks with brothers and sisters. Instead of poking your sword against the enemy, you're going to be tempted to poke it into the person next to you. Rather than against the enemy, rather than be focused against the enemy and have your shields up against the enemy, make every effort to keep 
the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Together, strong, divided, will be defeated. This is a crossing of the Rubicon. Another one for us. Resisting behaviors and attitudes that divide us and cause us to not be able to work together and get on. Being at peace with one another. So much of this in the New Testament. It's such a challenge. Here's another slide. Anyone, I wonder if anyone recognizes these guys. I know the hairstyle should come back in, I think. <laughs> it's sort of a common hairstyle. This is, I think, the 1800s. Uh, 18th century, the 1700s. On the left, anyone know who that is on the left? This guy knows. John Wesley. On the right, George, I think, it's, I think his name is Whitfield. But it's, it's sort of written Whitefield. But these guys are two preachers, amazing preachers in the 18th century in England and the continent and the US. Now, Whitefield on the right, people have said that he was the greatest preacher in history. Wesley and others recognized that. Benjamin Franklin in the U.S. wrote about this guy. He, he wrote lots of things. He wrote to him and about him. Benjamin Franklin was astonished by his oratory ability, his capacity to influence. Benjamin Franklin worked out. He said he worked out how far he could hear the guy, and then he drew a circle and recognized how many people would be there. They said you could hear people could 30,000 people could hear him without a microphone easily. That's the capacity this guy had um, with his voice and Franklin also talks about a time when he went to this uh, meeting and in the meeting uh, there was an orphanage collection being taken up so he, he supported the orphanage but he wanted to be in another place and he said I'm not giving any money I refuse to give any money Whitefield started talking persuading them about the need for this orphanage Philadelphia I think or somewhere there and um, what um, Benjamin Franklin says as he spoke he said he had gold and silver and copper in his pocket. And he's, as he spoke, a little bit in, he said, I, I decided to give the copper. And a further, he decided to give the silver. And finally, he said, I emptied my pocket. He was so persuasive. That's what that guy was like. So great was his persuasive ability. But at the end of his life, even though he was recognized as an incredibly great preacher, he wrote this about himself and Wesley. He said this. My brother Wesley acted wisely. This is Whitefield's own words. The souls that were awakened under his ministry, he joined in societies and thus preserved the fruit of his labor. This I neglected and my people are a rope of sand. Whitefield said that himself. So he said there was something about the way that Wesley went about his work, even though Whitefield was more a better speaker and more persuasive and powerful, um, he recognized it was not just preaching that was important. It wasn't just telling people about Jesus so that they might be converted, good that they would be. Um, but once people had become Christians, Whitefield recognized that Wesley trained them, taught them to serve, learned to understand scripture and pray, and they did this together. That was the difference between Wesley and and Whitefield, another word for that might be community. Wesley created this incredible community. It was a community of disciples, a community of discipleship. It had a certain shape to it. It had a, a goal in it, but it was people together learning and growing in Christ.
And Whitfield looked at that and said, Wesley got it right. The ministry of the church was not just about individual people coming to faith. It was about these people being in groups and societies and growing together as a community. The Wesleyan movement changed the world because they were able to take um, the, the power of the gospel, not just in individuals, but to create a, a movement that changed society through the groups and the training and the togetherness that they experienced. Us as Australians, you know, we love individuality. There's a guy called Geert Hofstad in Europe who, who ranks cultures according to these 10, I think it's 10 markers. One of them is individual versus community. Guess where Australia comes on that list? Uh, we're second. I, I wonder who's first. United States <laughs> is first. And we are second in terms of how individualistic we are in our culture. That means that if you're Australian or like it in Australia, you're probably someone who likes as an individual. You make individual decisions. You like to have a say about things. You're not going to let anyone else tell you what to do until you're convinced about it. That's all good stuff about Australia. But that kind of mitigates against the idea of community. If you become highly individualistic, sometimes you lose the sense that we're in this together. So as Australians, we might have to cross the Rubicon in order to be Christians, in order to be people who live faithfully the type of gospel that was preached in the New Testament. And also we saw in the Wesley revival in the 1700s, another challenge to partner together as one body. I'll give you a, this is go, I'll read you some King James English. I know that everyone wants some King James. Let's go to the next one. This is the King James Version of Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. Uh, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. If you read that in English, it tells you that the leaders, these apostles and prophets, all those guys, they essentially have two jobs to do. One is they're meant to perfect the saints. And the second thing they do is to do the work of, of the ministry. That's what the leaders are supposed to do. There's a famous comma after in verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints, comma, saying that there's also another thing they do. They also do the work of the ministry. Now, of course, there's no commas in the original. And um, it refl that reflects a priesthood of some believers. The leaders are the priests and everybody else gets a free ride. Let me give you another translation, which I think is more accurate of the same words. Let's go to the next one. Ah, I say, see verse 12? Instead of to perfect the saints, comma, to do the work of ministry, most translations will say to equip his people for works of ministry. That changes everything because it changes from saying that the leaders are the ones who do the works of ministry to the people are the ones who do the works of ministry, which is consistent with Ephesians chapter 2, where it talks about God has prepared in advance good works that we should walk in. I think it's the same reality, and it's the recognition that all of us are called to do the good works that God asks us to do in this world. We are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. And the good works that we do, the, the works of ministry, both in the church and outside, uh, it's not just for the leaders. 
the leaders have a role. Their role is to equip, to encourage, to get behind, to support. But each of us are in that work of ministry. We are the ones who do that. I think that's another Rubicon to cross for many people. We have Historically, I think we've had a church where the leaders have done most of what needed to be done. And most of the people kind of just came along. That's not the vision of the New Testament. The potential of a people to impact society. You might say we've got some really gifted leaders and that's great. Let's say how many, five or six people were up here. No matter how good they are, it cannot possibly compete with the whole body gifts and the talents and the resources of the whole body released to make a difference in this world. That's a Rubicon to cross, to move into a new space, not the priesthood of some believers, but the priesthood of all believers. Every one of us has, has a role to play, both within and outside the church. The leaders help us do that individually and together. Okay, one last Rubicon, the next, uh, the next verse. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. One more river to cross. 30 plus years I've worked with churches, ministry, mission type stuff. Uh, When something goes wrong, usually it's not about technical expertise. It's not because the projector didn't work. It's not because the printer didn't work. None of that stops the church from doing what it can do. It's not even because the task was too difficult. Most of the time, and I suspect the majority of the time, the failures we hear in church and mission circles come back to people not being able to get along together. That's, that's the root of it all. It comes back to us not being able to get along with our neighbor. Time after time, people with the best intentions to do good to reach out, to transform the world. These are lofty goals, and then something comes up. Someone says something or does something. Uh, There's a disagreement. People read some theological thing, and all of a sudden they're totally Calvinist or totally... Something happens with it. They're talking about the Holy Spirit should or shouldn't do that today. There was even a church in the U.S. that split about whether the piano stool was the right one to use. This is another Rubicon. (laughs) It's another thing to cross over. Get rid of bitterness, rage and anger and malice. I think it says that because we all feel it from time to time. If we didn't feel it, it wouldn't need to say it. Get rid of it. Don't let that be the basis for disunity or not fellowshipping with someone else. Back off from your position. Listen to someone else. What's at stake? Only the unity of the church. Only the mission of God in this world. You put it like that and you realize how insignificant many of our controversies and things are because what's at stake is far greater than what you can win by winning an argument here or there. Be kind and compassionate. Not something generally associated with people who are arguing or even having controversies. Forgive each other just as in Christ God forgave you. We've been recipients of grace. Let's give grace to others. I'm so glad God didn't wait until my theology was right until I was forgiven. I should think about that for a while. I'm still glad. Reality is, 
Compared to God, all of us have dodgy theology, right? None of us are there. We're all on the journey. I'm never going to understand the Trinity fully. I'm never going to fully understand how grace works. Uh, I'm never completely grasp who the Holy Spirit is and what he does in this world. God doesn't wait until we understand those things fully until he blesses us, forgives us, and wants to use us in his church and kingdom. Once you've got it all sorted, maybe then you can hold back the forgiveness because you're, you know, let me know when you've got it sorted. Then you can let go of kindness and you can leave out compassion because you've got it sorted, right? Until then, we need to cross this Rubicon. Okay, let's go to the next one. This is a picture. Now, I, I'm kind of violating the principle of what I'm saying here because I'm saying everybody's in ministry and I've got Ian's big picture and Damo there. I couldn't get everyone's photo right. Otherwise, I would have put everyone up there. Uh, there could be many people in Margaret River Baptist Church. I didn't have the technical expertise to do that. It's pretty easy off the websites to get Ian and Damo's pictures, so they get embarrassed. But think about it. We started by considering what did it mean for Julius Caesar? He's facing that river. He knows that when he crosses that river, there's no turning back. He's going into a new reality. His future, his past is over. He's got this moment to make a decision. And then he realizes his future is going to be determined by the decision he makes. Now, um, I promised Ian I'd have a treat for him in this last slide. So have a look at, again, I'm violating the principle because I'm, it should be all of us, right, when you see this photo. Here we go. Let's have a look at the next one. <laughs> now, I only had Ian and Damo's photo, right? So they're in that. But it could be all of us. All those faces back there are us, right? The people in the church. We're all on this side of the river. This is the past. We've got the present. Are we going to step into, are we going to cross the Rubicon? Are we going to step into the future that God has for us? Not just Julius and the generals, it's all of us looking across the water and wondering, what is the future that God has for us? What, what future do we have together as a church? And I think there's a river before us. This legendary stream, once crossed, there's no turning back. But could this be a new chapter for Margaret River Baptist Church? Could we cross the Rubicon? Could we do it together? It's not just the, the general. He, it's, it's his army crosses with him. Your calling in Jesus is established. God has done all of these things in Christ. Now, keep the unity that you've been given. Can you work together, defend one another, support one another, have your shields up? protecting, looking out for one another. The work of the church is not just the work of the leaders. It belongs to all of us, all of you as God's people. We each part of, play a part in the good works that God has prepared for us. The way to do that, getting rid of all bitterness, holding back from slander, Forgiving one another as Christ has forgiven you. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for the witness of Margaret River Baptist Church. Thank you for the care, for the prayer that goes on one for another. We know there are difficult times in this life. We know that 
We need one another. We need people to stand with us. Thank you, Lord, for the care that happens, for the encouragement that goes on one to another. Lord, we look at the future. I pray to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. I pray, Lord, for the good works which all of us are called to. May they be done together. I pray for the leaders. Would you bless them to be able to equip and encourage God's people unto the works of service that you have called us to. And Lord, may we do this in a way where we forgive one another. Letting go of those things that come up in life that that could easily separate us. Standing together. Thank you for what you've done for us. The grace you've so freely given us. Lord, may we show that to one another. May we cross the Rubicon into your future for us to be the church and to bear witness to you and your grace in this community and the world beyond. In Jesus' name.